Hey, hey, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to episode four of the Tata Cancer Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about breast cancer nutrition. This is going to be a two-parter. So this is part one, and we're going to talk about nutrition during treatment. And then next week, we're going to do part two, nutrition to prevent recurrence. I'm super excited. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get into the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Tata Cancer Podcast, where we will discuss the physical and mental elements of healing from a breast cancer diagnosis. My name is Junie Boucher. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a breast cancer survivor. When you're diagnosed with breast cancer, you're forced to make life-changing decisions with so much information that's really hard to sift through. My intention is to help provide you with the information you need to make a decision that's going to align your body, mind, and heart so that you can live your best life going forward. I'm going to be your new breast friend. <laughs> okay, let's do this. The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice. Please always consult with your doctor for any of your medical needs. Hello, all you beautiful people. And let me be the first to say on the podcast, I guess, I hope somebody's already said this to you, but happy 2022. It's the new year. We got through the holidays. My brother and sister-in-law, both of them, both sets, they are still talking to me after giving the talking hamster toys, which were a huge hit with both of my nieces, by the way. Um, I feel like I should link to the show notes, link to the, um, the Amazon listing because seriously they're so good. They're just, they're so good. The kids love them. The parents tolerated them and um, I'm still in the family. So I feel like it's a success. <laughs> but you know, 2022, I have, I've got a good feeling about 2022. I really do. And I've been reading, you know, all the horoscopy stuff, which I kind of take with a grain of salt. But, you know, the times when you really take it seriously is when it says what you would like to hear. And there's something about Jupiter. I'm not an expert in uh, astrology. Something about Jupiter that basically said that this year is not going to be such a kick in the, you know, metaf metaphorical balls, right? And I think we could all use that right about now. So I will take it. Jupiter, I am so down with you. Thank you very much. Please make it stop. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I've had a pretty... 2021 was not that bad for me. I mean, there were ups and downs, but it, it was not great. It was not great. Um, I think 2022, though, is going to be great. And I am putting that energy out into the world. I am putting that energy into your world. And together, I think we're going to make this awesome. So let's get into this episode. It is a juicy one. There's a lot of information. I was going to do like one general episode about this and then I realized there is just so much information to cover that we had to do a twofer. 
we had to do it. We had to do a two two episode series on this. Um, and I mean, I think anybody who's dealing with chronic illness understands that nutrition is an important part of the healing process. And, you know, a lot of people say that their oncologist told them, oh, eat whatever you want, whatever you do, just don't lose weight. You know, it doesn't really matter what you eat. <sighs> this is... <laughs> You know, one of my pet peeves. I mean, if you if you want to go with that, go with that. See, the, everything is always your choice. You know, you can do whatever you want. This is your life, girl or boy or whoever. This is your life. But in a situation like dealing with a breast cancer diagnosis, one of the most powerful things that you can do as a patient is take an active role in your treatment. Now, food, nutrition, lifestyle, that all can really enhance not only your quality of life, the efficacy of your treatment, and minimize your side effects. And if you adopt these changes and you really see, because I think one of the wonderful things about nutrition is when you do dedicate yourself to it and you really open yourself up to the possibilities and you believe that it can help you is when you start to see what an immensely powerful tool it is. And it's life-changing. I mean, we've talked about this in my story. I mean, I first discovered the power of nutrition when I was dealing with my autoimmune Hashimoto's. And, um, you know, I feel like that was a gift in a way because when I went into my cancer treatment, I knew right away, okay, I gotta, I gotta take this really seriously. I gotta explore my options. I gotta see what's gonna support me through this process. And not only does it support you physically, it'll support your healing, it'll ramp up the power of your treatments, but it's also going to support your mood. It's going to help you handle the anxiety and the stress a lot better. And, you know, there's a statistic I was reading. So it says approximately 30% of cancers are influenced by behavioral risk factors, including dietary intake, being overweight, low fruit and vegetable intake, lack of physical activity, tobacco, and alcohol use. So, Many, many studies have shown that diet and lifestyle can affect your, you know, chances of getting cancer. I mean, with breast cancer, actually, most women who get it don't have the BRCA gene. It's not a genetic thing. And I think this catches a lot of people off guard. They feel like, oh, it's just something that runs in a family or, you know, we don't know why you got it. And, you know, at the end of the day, maybe we don't know why your specific diagnosis happened. But what we do know is that something happened. Something went awry and allowed your body to get out of balance and allowed these cancer cells to grow out of control. So, you know, I am not about contradicting doctors, but when a doctor says, you know, it doesn't matter what you eat, I respectfully <laughs> disagree. Um, and I think that, you know, to try to consider the perspective of a doctor, I mean, you know, they want the science. And with food and nutrition, there's always going to be contradictory evidence. 
So, you know, until it's easier to study drugs and the efficacy of drugs. And that's really what a lot of the Western doctors, that's their specialty. So you need to go to a nutritional therapy practitioner, um, an integrative oncologist, a naturopathic oncologist. Those are the people that are probably going to have the expertise with the food element and you know, can help you that way. So, you know, everybody's got their hat, you know, let people do what they are good at and be a part of your team. Yes. So let's talk about, you know, why the whys behind eating well during treatment. A, you need to keep up your strength. You know, your body is doing a lot. Your body is, is trying to heal your body is trying to support yourself through this immense stress. Um, but you also need to support the immune system so that you can fight off infection. A lot of these treatments really lower your, um, immune system, but you also need proper nutrition to repair, you know, wound healing is heavily tied to nutrition. And if you're supported, before, during, and after, you're going to have the best outcomes. You know, one of the ways that a lot of holistic practitioners explain this, which I think is a really beautiful metaphor, is that the body is, you know, like a garden. And the terrain, the soil, you know, it it fosters certain things. So if you are going through cancer treatment. One of the things that you really want to do is you want to make the soil inhospitable for cancer to grow. You know, make it hard for the cancer to thrive, but make it easy for the healthy cells to thrive. So think about it as that, you know, the foods that you, and nutrients that you're putting into your body, that's going to either make your garden flourish or it's going to take you down. Um, so let's talk about some of the phases here. Um, so when you're first diagnosed and, you know, in episode two, we talk about how to support the body through stress, anxiety, and overwhelm. So, you know, my advice to you, I mean, you, if you want to jump right into a breast cancer nutrition protocol, if that makes you feel like you are gaining some control over the situation and you're motivated, you have the energy to do it, you can you can think uh, in that method, go for it. But if you need a little bit of time to just sort of deal with the shock, I get that too. And uh, my advice to you there is just keeping a balanced diet, making sure that you are eating nutritious foods, that you're not just running headfirst into sugar and junk food, alcohol, stuff like that. You know, those are, that's, that's not going to help. It's actually going to make things worse. Just do your best. Try your best so that you can get your bearings, you know, use the mind-body techniques that I talk about all the time. Um, and allow yourself a little bit of a grace period. Now, don't let that grace period go on forever if this is something that you would like to utilize in your treatment to support your treatment. Um, but once, you know, so once you've gotten to 
a place where you have gotten over this initial shock. You have started to figure out what your treatment plan is. And um, we're going to cover how to support your body through surgery, how to support your body through chemo, and how to support your body through radiation. And then we're going to talk a little bit about how to do that uh, with how to manage that because it can be a lot. So first things first, let's talk about surgery. So when you're having surgery, whether it's a lumpectomy or a mastectomy, proper nutrition and hydration is really important. Again, you want to make sure that you're you have nutrient stores before before you go into surgery. So if you know that you're having surgery, don't start eating two days. Don't start eating well two days before you go into surgery. If you have the time, I mean, sometimes you don't have that much time. If you have the time, start as soon as possible. Ideally, you want to really be hydrating at least three weeks before two to three weeks. That'll really help with, you know, tissue healing, um, keeping your immune system up so that you can fight infection. And you also want to focus on having a good amount of protein because protein is really what cell repair utilizes. And um, so we're looking at organic meats. Um, if you tolerate dairy, dairy can be a great source of protein eggs, uh, broths. You want to make sure you're getting plenty of diverse fruits and vegetables, nuts, nut butters, avocado, olive oils, you know, good fats. You want to avoid fried foods. Those can tend to be fried and inflammatory oils. You want to avoid excess sugar. And another really important thing to keep in mind with, you know, nutrition around surgery is you have to be aware of the supplements and medications that you're taking, as well as the schedule, the eating and drinking schedule that your surgeon recommends. I mean, you have to stop eating at a certain amount of time. There are a lot of supplements that you wouldn't even necessarily think to stop taking, you know, like fish oil or something like that, that can be blood thinners and that you need to discontinue. Your surgeon should give you a complete list of what they recommend that you discontinue, when they recommend you discontinue and stuff like that. And then after surgery, a lot of times, um, you know, you aren't necessarily going to be hungry. You might be on painkillers and, um, you know, that can really blunt your appetite or make you nauseous. Great things for nausea, ginger, peppermint. Those teas are really good. You might want to do a lot of soups, broths, smoothies are great. My um, ex, when I was healing from surgery, he was making me these incredible like savory smoothies with these really nutrient dense broth bases and then a lot of vegetables that were mixed in. And it was, it was so good. I, I love a savory broth. I feel like there's a dirty joke in there, um, but I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to let it go. (laughs) I have been in such a weird place lately. Oh, the holidays, they got in my head, um, being single around the holidays. It will mess with you. I I don't think I've been single around the holidays for a really long time. And uh, ooh, it, ooh, it messes with you. Anyway, okay. So um, we were talking about savory broths. And uh, I got a little distracted. Anyway, savory broth. So yeah, I was kind of just like waking up 
eating a little bit, going back to sleep for a couple days. And then I was, you know, kind of getting more out and about. Hopefully, if there is somebody that can help you, that's helping. You know, one of the great things about preparing for surgery, go shopping the week before your surgery so that your fridge is stocked. And that way, you and your caretaker can always have stuff in the fridge just ready to go. You know, you're probably, if you are taking medication, which, you know, a lot of people don't need the medication that long, but hey, there's no shame in it. Take it as directed, do what you got to do, but you're going to need a little bit of food in there. So again, soups, stews, balanced nutrition, emphasize the protein, wide variety of fruits and vegetables. Okay. So a big one here, I would say the big struggle with nutrition probably comes along when and if you have to go through chemotherapy. So, you know, with chemotherapy, the the thing about chemo is not only is it killing the cancer cells, but it's killing healthy cells. It can, you know, mess with your taste buds. It can mess with your stomach lining. It can mess with your GI tract. So you may not be hungry. You may have a metallic taste in your mouth. Things may taste like cardboard. It can be a tough time, but you also may be on steroids that are trying to combat your vulnerability to infection, and that can make you super duper hungry. So if you are going to eat, and we're going to talk about the latest sort of research with fasting and chemotherapy, if you are going to eat, it is recommended to try to eat small amounts in regular intervals. You may want to avoid your favorite foods for three to four days prior and three to four days after your treatment because if you do get really nauseous and sick, you may have an aversion for some of your favorite foods later because of that because you're going to associate it with the um, side effects that you're experiencing with the chemo. So that's a thing to keep in mind. You want to limit fried foods, ice cream, and high fat foods to minimize your GI issues. You know, that may really make things not so fun. (laughs) if you eat some of those kinds of foods and try to support your gut bacteria because like I said it can you know chemotherapy can kind of kill off all the good gut bacteria so you want to replenish with fermented food so you know if you can tolerate things like sauerkraut or kombucha or yogurts stuff like that kefir those are all great things A lot of the same rules apply. Eat a diverse amount of fruits and vegetables, high quality protein, high quality dairy if you're going to include that, healthy fats, um, clean fats, non-inflammatory fats. So again, we're talking about these nuts, seeds, olive oil, avocado, yummy, yummy, yummy. Many people struggle with wanting to eat at all during chemotherapy and you know, doctors tend to say, oh, whatever you do, don't lose weight. Now, this is contingent on the fact that you aren't underweight, but fasting has been shown to be really amazing in terms of making your chemotherapy treatment more effective and being protective. So I'm going to read you directly from this study that I will link to in the show notes if you want to read it. But It says, essentially, fasting causes a switch in healthy cells from a proliferative state 
toward a maintenance and repair state. Malignant cells, in contrast, seem to be unable to enter this protective state because of the oncoprotein activity and therefore fail to adapt to nutrient-scarce conditions. Instead, fasting deprives proliferating cancer cells of nutrients, growth, and other factors, which renders them more sensitive to cancer therapy and increases cell death. So basically what this means is that it strengthens your healthy cells and weakens your cancer cells and makes them more easily killed off by the chemotherapy. How amazing is that? And and the the evidence was significant. It, it wasn't moderate, it wasn't, you know, minimal, it was significant, which is a pretty powerful word in the realm of scientific studies. And basically the protocol would be three days prior to your chemotherapy treatment, you're going to water fast or do a fasting mimicking diet. Um, we'll talk about that more at another time, or you can, you know, look into it yourself, but basically, you know, water fast is a great way. Literally, that's what it is. You're drinking water. Um, you might be having a little bit of salt in there just to kind of keep your electrolytes balanced, but you're just drinking water. You do that three days before and on the day of treatment, and then you can resume your regular diet afterwards when you want, um, if you feel like eating. You know, the body is very intelligent. (laughs) You know, when animals get sick, they naturally fast. They go away, they fast, they sleep, and they get over it. Humans, on the other hand, are obsessed with eating. And I think we've kind of stopped listening to our bodies that sometimes are telling us, hey, what I need right now is a digestive rest. So with fasting, which I am a big fan of, if you don't have an eating disorder and you're not underweight, um, I think it's a super powerful tool. And in the realm of cancer treatment, there has been some really powerful science to back up how it makes your treatments more effective and also protects your, your healthy cells, which is ultimately what we want, right? There's this really fantastic cookbook called The Cancer Fighting Kitchen, which an- another thing I will link to in the show notes. And they have she has this wonderful um, section where she talks about how to deal with the aversions or tastes and stuff like that in your mouth. Some people find during chemotherapy that their taste buds are just dulled. So, you know, just food doesn't taste right. And she has these great recommendations for how to play with FASS, um, fat, acid, salt, and sweet to alter the flavor profile so that you can find the balance that you need to make the food palatable to you. And um, she's got all these, if it's this, then do this. It's it's really fantastic. Her cookbook is probably one of the most well-respected cookbooks in terms of cancer nutrition. So I highly recommend you check that out. It's called The Cancer Fighting Kitchen by Rebecca Katz with Matt Adelson. Hopefully I'm saying that right. So they are great. Um, All right, well, let's move on now to radiation. So the main side effect with radiation that people tend to experience is just this intensive fatigue. Similar to 
the surgical and the chemotherapy kind of protocols, you're really wanting to eat to support healing and keep your immune system strong to fight infection. So you want to be eating a super nutrient-dense meal, balanced meals, so that you have the energy to fight through this fatigue. I mean, fatigue is really just your body saying, I am working so hard here, I just don't have the time to, you know, make you that exciting right now. So fatigue is the ultimate sign that your body is asking you to treat it as kindly as you possibly can. So give it all the good stuff. Give it some of that yummy salmon and organic high-quality meats high-quality dairy, those nuts, the seeds, chia seeds. I love chia seeds, flax seeds, greens, leafy greens. Oh my gosh, so many leafy greens. (laughs) Colorful vegetables. Just get all the colors of the rainbow. Make it like a game, you know? Uh, we, We would do that at my household where we would literally have, we would see how many different vegetables we could eat in one week so that we're making sure that we were getting a diversity of nutrients because ultimately everybody's body is different and what you're going to be able to absorb from that food is individual. So that's the point of eating a diverse range of foods so that you can cover all the bases. So I feel like it would be a miss if we had an episode about breast cancer nutrition and didn't talk about the really controversial foods, namely sugar, alcohol, meat and dairy, soy, and whether or not you need to go organic. Okay, so let's just tick these off one by one. Um, Sugar. Now, This is something that people get really intense about. And I mean, sugar is the ultimate comfort food. I talk about that all the time. It's a constant battle for me. I mean, I have eaten a balanced diet for long enough that my cravings for sugar have really, really subsided. I feel like I have tamed my sugar animal, but, uh, or my sugar beast, but you know, it's still a struggle. I mean, it's, it's just human nature. That is the ultimate fast energy. You know, we we want it. We just we're we're going to crave it. But sugar is highly is highly inflammatory. It also will cause blood sugar dysregulation, which in turn causes higher insulin levels. These are all factors that go into inflammation and and you know that can lead to a cancer diagnosis. High insulin levels are associated with a higher cancer risk as well as, you know, being overweight. And when your blood sugar is out of balance, when your insulin is high, you have a really hard time accessing your fat stores. So you tend to store fat, which, you know, makes your body composition off and you're likely overweight. And I'm just going to have to go off on a little tangent here because I hate talking about weight in our world as women because... Everybody's talking about our weight constantly. Everybody is judging our weight. But in the world of breast cancer, risk and risk of recurrence, it is a huge factor. Um, you know, estrogen is and hormones are stored in your fat. 
So if you are overweight and your body composition is not at a healthy level, that does increase your risk of getting cancer again or you know getting it in the first place. So maintaining a healthy weight, we do we just we're going to have to mention it. <laughs> but I'd like to mention it with a caveat that health and weight are not based off of the number on the scale alone. You know, you may be a muscular athletic person who has a perfectly healthy body composition, but your BMI is high. So there's a lot of factors to look at there, like the waist to hip ratio is another indicator of your balance. You know, how do you feel? Do you have energy? You know, getting like a DEXA scan or something like that can be really helpful in terms of seeing how much fat you have, whether it's subcutaneous, which is the fat that we kind of can see on our body, um, you know, the jiggle in our thighs or our little belly. And then there's a visceral fat, which is the fat that surrounds our organs. That's the more dangerous fat. Even the subcutaneous fat in the world of breast cancer can be a risk factor. And so you're going to hear that from your doctor. Make sure you're maintaining a healthy weight, which can be super hard when you're on medications that are going to make you hungrier or make you lethargic, or you're having a treatment that makes you not want to exercise, not want to eat well. There's a lot going against us. So do your best. And, you know, you may gain weight during treatment like a lot of women. You know, that doesn't have to be a permanent state. You can get through your treatment and, you know, still try to eat well, try to support your body, but don't stress yourself out to the point of, you know, making everything worse by focusing, hyper-focusing on the weight. The weight can come off later, so just remember that. Go easy on yourself. If you're stressed out, it's super hard to lose weight. Cancer is not a time (laughs) to be considering a crash diet. Cancer is a time to support your body in a healthy way. You may lose weight because you weren't eating that well before. I know a lot of women who have said, well, actually, I yeah, I lost weight because of that. But I also know a lot of women who have gained weight during treatment. I was definitely one of those women because I the treatments I was on were, were causing a lot of hormonal fluctuations and the stress. Like I get stressed out and it's very hard for my body to release weight. So, but it then it naturally kind of balances out after that stress has been managed better or has been removed. So just keep that in mind. That's my little soapbox speech about weight, breast cancer treatment. But again, I guess what we were talking about is sugar. Um, There has been a lot of research into whether or not sugar feeds cancer cells. The crazy thing is I have read stuff that says, yeah, this is totally debunked. And I have read stuff that says, yes, this is the truth. In my personal journey and on a personal level, I am somebody who's very sensitive to carbohydrates. So I do think that sugar for me is not a good thing. That sugar and, you know, eating a lot of processed sugar will not help me fight cancer because I think it, like I, we're going back to that terrain. It makes that terrain a more hospitable environment for cancer to proliferate. And that's not what I want. It makes it harder for me to maintain my weight. It leads to inflammation. Um, it makes it sort of like that snake that's eating its own tail. It makes it harder for me to make 
good food choices if I'm throwing a lot of sugar in there just because it's I, I'm on the roller coaster. I want it. I have sugar and then I want more sugar. So if I kind of abstain from sugar and get my sweets from other sources, more whole food sources or non-sugar sweeteners, that really helps me. And there's the Otto Warburg theory that won the Nobel Prize about the metabolic approach to cancer, this this theory, the cancer cells, that's they really thrive on these sugars. So this was actually the approach that I took when I was going through my treatment and that I still follow to this day. I am a big advocate for the ketogenic approach to not only cancer treatment and supporting the body through cancer, but for cancer prevention because it's it's very hormone balancing. Now, I don't eat a classic ketogenic diet. I like, you know, it's not like a plate of bacon and a wheel of cheese <laughs> every day. I am eating a ton of vegetables, really, really healthy fats. Mainly for me, I eat, you know, I, I stay away from a lot of dairy and I stay away from a lot of the saturated fats and I really stick to a lot of the olive oil, avocado oil, avocado, the nuts, the seeds, stuff like that. And I find that it's really supported me as a woman in middle age. I feel fantastic. It's much easier to maintain a healthy weight. My brain is really sharp and my numbers, when I go get my tests done, my blood work done, they're fantastic. But this is all highly individual. You know, you may feel more inclined to like a plant-based diet. That's another big diet that's big in the cancer world. I personally feel it's a little bit hard for me to get in a sufficient amount of protein or to find a balance with a vegan diet, which I've tried vegan diets before. It just takes for me, it takes a lot of work to get that balance right. Now, you might be different. You might thrive on that kind of diet. Some people's bodies digest carbohydrates better than others, so they might thrive on this on a low-fat, high-carbohydrate, plant-based diet. Me, personally, I need a, a little bit more fat, a little bit more protein, and um, I just am super sensitive to the carbs. So that's what I do. So let's talk about some of these other controversial food items. So with dairy and meat, you know, again, kind of discussing the difference between like a ketogenic approach or a vegan approach. The secret to me is how does your body tolerate it? You know, if, if you're lactose intolerant, don't eat dairy. <laughs> I mean, that seems pretty simple, right? I think a lot of people are more sensitive to dairy than they realize. They, you might have some minimal gastrointestinal issues, you know, and get a little, get a little farty with the cheese. Um, you might, uh, you might have some subtle breakouts after you eat cheese or feel a little foggy headed the next day. I don't know. It is, it's again, it's super individual. You have to experiment, but if you do tolerate it, which a lot of people do, and keep in mind that the higher the fat content, the more tolerable the dairy is. So like for me personally, I cannot drink non-fat milk, but I can have some high quality butter, um, grass-fed butter, or like, you know, I can tolerate some hard cheeses. Ultimately, at the end of the day, what you want to do is, is you want to go for with dairy, I would say organic grass-fed whenever possible. And the same goes for meat. I tend to avoid red meat just because I don't crave it, but every once in a while I will have it and I'll have some grass-fed 
organic beef, maybe some pastured pork, stuff like that. I do eat quite a bit of chicken. I mainly eat a lot of seafood. I love salmon. I eat sardines. I don't love those, but I do eat them because I just feel amazing when I eat them. I love oysters. I love shrimp. At the end of the day, listen to your body. And that's another way that mindfulness kind of comes to play in all of this. As you become a mindful eater, you're going to be able to hear the messages that your body is giving you. You know, if you're menstruating, maybe you've been working out a lot with heavy weights, you might be craving some high quality beef and hey, go for it. Your body is very smart. It's going to tell you what it wants. So let's go to our next controversial food, which is soy. So the relationship between soy food intake and breast cancer has been heavily investigated for more than 25 years. So soy contains these compounds called isoflavones that are, they were considered potentially chemoprotective agents, which means that they would be anti-cancerous. And they're uniquely rich in soybeans and they have both estrogen-dependent and estrogen-independent properties that would potentially inhibit the development of breast cancer. So it was interesting to see that among Asian women that ate a lot of soy, it was associated with an approximately 30% reduction in risk of developing breast cancer. What they ended up finding out though was that in order for the soy consumption to reduce the risk, it would have had to have been consumed early in life. So like during childhood or adolescent years. And But the concern was also that these isoflavones could possibly increase the likelihood of high-risk women developing breast cancer and worsen the prognosis of breast cancer patients. They did extensive studies on this and that's basically been debunked. So the isoflavone intake does not adversely affect markers of breast cancer risk. They've also shown that phytoestrogens can be anti-estrogenic. So they can actually help combat some of the bad estrogens in the body because there are multiple types of estrogens that cause and fuel breast cancer. If you're going to go with soy, if you like soy, if you like tofu, edamame, tempeh, stuff like that, just make sure you're doing non-GMO and organic. There are things like natto, which is fermented soy, which is super high in vitamin K and really great for bone health. So that's a great thing, especially if you are on like a tamoxifen or an aromatase inhibitor, which can lead to bone loss. That vitamin K really helps the body absorb calcium and, and, and the other vitamins and minerals that are needed for bone health. So just consider that, although it's quite pungent, I will say, um, being half Japanese, (laughs) growing up with a Japanese mom who liked natto, we used to say that it, it smelled like dirty socks. And when my mom would open the little container, we would run through the house screaming, Like it was the scariest thing that ever happened. I do want to try it again though, because I feel like I really like fermented foods. So I may be open to it, but it may be one of those things. My mom always said, you just, you didn't grow up eating this. You didn't grow up eating this. So it's possible that I may never like natto. You may never like natto, but hey, give it a try. It's it's actually quite a super nutritious food. Another controversial food, or I don't know if this is actually controversial in the science world, it's 
heavily researched in terms of the relationship between breast cancer and this particular item. It's controversial maybe in my heart (laughs) because I do love champagne and a nice glass of wine, but alcohol... Alcohol, and and we've talked about this before on the podcast, alcohol and breast cancer, they just don't go together. You don't necessarily have to give up drinking altogether, but it is highly recommended that you minimize it. Make it a special occasion thing, you know, or at at minimum, try to avoid drinking every week. Uh, Because even with light drinkers, there appears to be a moderate increased risk and the risk increases with the volume of of alcohol consumed. So for women who have three or more alcoholic drinks per day, there is a 40 to 50% elevated risk of breast cancer. The good news I think about eliminating or minimizing alcohol in your life is that it once you do, you'll start to realize like, oh, yeah, this actually makes me feel like poop. You know, if you have too much. <laughs> like you know, if I go over two drinks, it just it just does not work out for me. That's the only time that I get hot flashes. I can't sleep. I get super anxious. I'm always, if I drink, I am like, it's inevitable that I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night and there will be some weird dateline type scenario running through my brain or I'm freaking out about work or I'm having a nightmare or something weird. And then the next day, I don't feel great. I don't want to do the things that I like to do that make me feel good. Yeah, it's just not really fun anymore. (laughs) So so just keep in mind that it, it does get easier because as your body is cleaner, you just, you feel it. It's a toxin. You, you feel the toxicity from it. You'll also just realize that there's a lot of fun stuff beyond that doesn't involve drinking. So alcohol, we covered that one. Um, okay. Also, last one I want to cover here is just about like whether or not you need to buy organic. People will fight me on this. I am very much a proponent of organic produce. Your body, especially during treatment, is dealing with so many toxins on a constant basis. And if you have a cancer diagnosis, it's very possible that genetically you do not detoxify that well. So it's important that you're minimizing that. It's important that you are giving your body the least amount of resistance to thrive because you've already got a lot coming in. Organic produce also is higher in nutrients. There may be this is controversial. I don't know how there is a higher nutrient content in organic produce and it tastes better. I I do not think that's just in my mind. It tastes better. High quality food tastes better. You will see the difference. That is why I spend a million dollars on groceries because it's (laughs) my favorite thing. And I love to have good food and I will skimp on in other areas because I want high quality food because it makes a difference and it tastes different. It makes me want to cook and it makes me want to eat healthy and I enjoy what I eat and I know that I'm putting good things into my body. And that is an act that propels your self-esteem. When you fuel yourself well, when you feed yourself well, when you nourish yourself with high quality ingredients, You are telling yourself that you matter, and that is so important in a health journey. So, okay, gosh, there were a lot of little rants 
in this episode. <laughs> and I hope you were able to get some good insights from this and some good information. Like I said, there's going to be a part two coming up next week where we'll discuss breast cancer recurrence protocols. It's very similar kind of stuff, but I think there are some nuances with the treatment that are really important. And when you get into the recurrent stuff, we're really looking more at like how to facilitate hormone balance, detoxification, weight management. So we will cover all of that in next week's episode. Okay, all you lovely people, <laughs> that is today's episode. Woo, woo, woo. Um, we will be back next week. And at that point, we're all just going to be so down with 2022. We will totally have the hang of it. We will be writing it like bosses. We will be just all up in it. And this Jupiter good luck thing is going to be blowing our minds. I just, I seriously cannot wait for that. So, I'm happy to um, talk to you and I can't wait to talk to you again. Please find me on Instagram or Facebook, Instagram Junie Be Well, Facebook Junie Boucher NTP, my email Junie at JunieBeWell.com. Send, um, send me a note, talk to me about what you want to know about. How can I help you? And uh, please share, subscribe leave a positive review for the podcast so other people can find it. And as always, I'm wishing you well. Take care.